Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Morning, church. Our Bible reading for today will be taken from some selected verses in Proverbs. At the end of the reading, I will say, This is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, Thanks be to God. A kind hearted woman honor, gains honor, but ruthless men gain only wealth. A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless go hungry. Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. The plans of the diligent leads to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him, because of his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside, I'll be killed in the public square. Do not wear yourself out to get rich, do not trust your own cleverness. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, David, and uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for braving it out to, to, come, to come today. For those of you watching, uh, I like the looks of your pajamas, and I'm sure your duvets are very, very snuggly, snuggly there. Um, yeah, no, it's been, it was hard work to come to church today, wasn't it, right? And believe me, preaching under these circumstances with the rain sounding and all of that, it's, it's been really difficult. But, you know, that brings us to what we are talking about today. We've been, we started a series, and the series uh, is on work. And today we are dealing with hard work and diligence. I feel like I'm, I'm really working hard now. All right, so um, you know, we Nigerians, so this is, if you are joining us for the first time, this is the second. We did vision and planning last week. It's part of a four-part series. You know one of the wonderful things about um, comparing Nigerians and people of the West is how we developed differently. You know, people of the West, they had a, a literary tradition, like they wrote a lot of books, and so they learned by reading, right? And they're much more structured in the way they think about things. But we, we, we had an oral tradition. So we didn't write many books. Our forefathers didn't write many books coming. I mean, people are writing now. But things were transferred to us by, 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 by words, uh, vocal and uh, verbal words. And that's why we're very uh, proverbial, that's why we're very. <laughs> that's why we're a very proverbial uh, group of people. By proverbial, I mean we like proverbs a lot, right? How many times when you are growing up, did they want to give you an instruction, but before they give you the instruction, they first give you a proverb. You you know what I mean, right? So we're very proverbial, and sometimes the more popular proverbs, we put to song, we put to song so that people won't forget, right? 
And sadly, we Yoruba people, we didn't just use those proverbs to, uh, to instruct people in how they should go. We used it to, to, to despite people, to mock people, right? So imagine you are part, like you are going to school. And when you are going to school, they didn't want you to be a bad student. In fact, they will use a proverb to, to, to what they call it, to mock those bad students, wouldn't they? Something like, Don't be like our man, like borrow. That's what it means. Don't be like disobedient children. Because if you are like those disobedient children, what they're essentially saying is, life won't go well with you. It's not just that you won't pass your grades. If you don't pass your grades, then life won't go well with you. Do you know what you'll be like? You'll be like a commoner. Just somebody on the road. Nobody knows him, nobody knows her. Undignified. And you know, for Yoruba people, one of the worst things that can happen to you is to be undignified. But the flip side is this, that if you study hard, if you study hard, you read your books well, then you will be dignified. In fact, you will be so dignified that they will be able to hear it in the sound of your shoes. Who doesn't want their shoes to sound well? I know nowadays, you know, people wear with their wedding dresses, they wear trainers. Some of you are wearing trainers with dresses and all of that. You are not dignified, let me just tell you. You are dignified, you are, you are undignified in your fashion sense. But when somebody has truly arrived, you hear the sound of their shoes. Co, co, you know, co, co. There's confidence there. A lot of confidence. So, you see, these proverbs were there to instruct us on how to live life, how to think about things, how to think about work. But one of the other things you quickly find out is this, that, because this is a problem in Lagos. So many people are walking around, they've studied hard, they finished with 2-1, they have pallies, but they think therefore that things will just go well for them just because of the pally. They think that all they needed was to study hard. But don't forget, that if you study hard alone, it wouldn't work out. If you don't mix the study, the knowledge you get from the study, with hard work, it won't work out well for you. In fact, the Yorubans will say you have to mix the study with the hard work of a farmer because <laughs> Share a pen, share a
They instruct us in life generally with things that are true, all things being equal. And one of the things we are trying to say with this series is that the Bible too has Proverbs. The Proverbs are in promises. They give to us, just like these Yoruba Proverbs, principles that in general, all things being equal, are true. And what those three ones that we sang show us is that hard work matters. Hard work matters in life. And essentially, all things being equal, if you put the shift in, if you put the work in, things will go well for you. Now, if you want to stand out and thrive in the world that we are living in, and particularly I mean in this city, where it's a dog-eat-dog world, dog world, where things are very difficult, one of the distinguishing marks is what? Hard work. Not only do the, the Yoruba Proverbs say that, but the Bible actually says it a whole lot more. But the difference between the Yoruba Proverbs and the Bible Proverbs is that the Bible Proverbs do this underneath or set at the backdrop of a God who created this world and created work. Are you following me? And so that's what we want to look at today. What does hard work mean from a biblical perspective? Because if we follow what the Bible says about that, right, what, we, what the Bible says about diligence, you will see that you will take what, uh, you will work hard in a way that you don't become a slave to your desires or a slave to your work. And so that's what I want us to consider today. To consider hard work and diligence, that's the name of the title of the sermon, but I want us to look at it under these three headings. How it isn't done, how it is done, and why it is done. Hard work and diligence. How it isn't done, how it is done, and why it is done. But let's pray before we do so. Father Lord, we need you now. Lord Jesus, we want you to be exalted. Holy Spirit, we need you to illuminate our hearts. We need you to take hold of my tongue. We ask that what we have not, that you give us. What we know not, teach us. What we cannot, help us. And what we are not, make us. To which we all say, Amen. Amen. You know, um, I served in, um, first point, sorry, by the way, my first point. I served in the South-South. And one of the things that impressed me the most about the South-South is Whenever people threatened to fight, let's say you are going, whenever people threatened to fight in the South-South, it usually happened. Like, if a guy said, oh, boy, I go slap you. If you talk to, oh, oh, boy, I go slap you, oh, and you just slap. Like, you know, as he said, even saying, I will slap you, he eventually lands the slap. But you see, I was born and raised in Lagos. So the, I, I didn't really understand what was going on. Because essentially, in Lagos, Yoruba people, when you say, I will slap you, I will slap you, what you start doing is you start moving back. I said, I will slap you, I will slap you, you start telling people to hold you, hold you, hold you. Because whenever we negotiate, when it comes to fight, whatever we have envisioned and we've planned, we never implement. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating violence. What I am saying is this, after you have a vision and a plan, as we learned last week, don't become a Yoruba person. We need to distinguish ourselves, not just by our vision and our planning, we need to distinguish ourselves by our delivery. Because all around our city, we have people walking around, we believe the mantra that what, what it, 
takes to make it. It's not so much the package, it's the packaging. It's not the content, it's the container. It's not the substance, it is the style. You are distinguishing yourself, but in a very bad way. Now, some people will say, no, you don't understand. Conditions are hard. It's very, very tough. You know, and I'll say, yes. Remember, we are living in God's world. And God cursed the ground because of sin, as we see in Genesis, 7, uh, Genesis 3, 17 to 19. He said that out of uh, uh, the ground that you would toil, let me see, what does it say? He says that through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Notice what he's saying and what he isn't saying. He is not saying that the ground is going to be perpetually unproductive. He's just saying that it is going to be really hard to get some produce there. Because he said you will eat out of it. But he's saying it is going to be very frustrating. So what does it require? The hard ground requires hard work. Amen. It requires effort. In other words, it requires a certain kind of worker. What kind of worker is it, does it require? Well, before I tell you what kind of worker it requires, let me tell you what isn't required. The two kinds of workers you must not be are the sluggard and the workaholic. The sluggard and the workaholic. Who is the sluggard? The sluggard is a lazy person who ends up producing nothing, though he's always expecting everything. You're expecting something. You see, in Proverbs 20, verse 4, listen to what he says. This is fascinating, really. He says, sluggards do not plow in season. Sorry, if you don't plow in season, what should you be expecting? All right. But he says after that, what do they do? At harvest time, they go out to look for something. They didn't plow, but at harvest, they're looking for something. Do you know what this is telling you? Being a sluggard is a deep problem. You know why? Because most sluggards don't know that they are sluggards. I have never met a lazy person who admitted that they are lazy. Despite the fact that people told them over and people tell them everywhere. Their parents tell them. They told them when they were growing up, you are lazy. Their uh, siblings told them. The first place they worked, they said they were lazy. Second place they worked, they said they were lazy. They still don't believe they are lazy. But then the antidote to this is not to now become a workaholic. Who is a workaholic? Those who refuse to rest but work endlessly. Now, you see the tricky thing about it is that on the surface, the workaholic actually seems to be a good option. You notice how we like to tell people, you know what, I'm just so busy, you know, things are just happening right now. What are you doing? I'm doing so many things. I can't even keep up. You know, sometimes we like to boast, you know, I, I sleep at 2 a.m. I wake up at 5. The Bible says that not only are you a fool for sleeping at two and, 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 and waking up at five, you're a fool for boasting about it. So these two aren't good options. But the wonderful thing about these two things is that none of you here are either sluggards or workaholics. That's the wonderful thing. All right? Wonderful thing. Or nobody watching. So I just want us to test it a little bit. Let's find out. Let's diagnose ourselves, right? Let me give us eight characteristics of a sluggard and eight characteristics of a workaholic. And I'm sure you will not find yourself in this. Let's start with the first one. The sluggard. The one thing that takes every sluggard, the one defining mark is that they like to sleep. 
Proverbs 19, verse 15 says, Laziness brings on deep, they don't just sleep anyhow, deep sleep, and the shiftless go hungry. So this is why you find that the sluggard sleeps over a total of nine hours per day. And upon that, they are still reliant on coffee. Whereas the workaholic, they sleep under six hours a day, and they are over-reliant on coffee and energy drinks to keep them going. Why do you need to fly on the wings of a good rest when Red Bull gives you wings? How about the second thing? The sluggard, for, their, for them, every physical discomfort is an illness. Right? They didn't cut their toenail well. They didn't cut their toenail well. They say, ah, I missed something. They say, ah, <laughs> okay, I can't come to work. I think something happened to my toe, in fact, my leg. They said I have gout. I may have gout. I've gone to Google. Google has told me if you are feeling this kind of pain. And they actually do develop things that, you know, sometimes eventually that, um, uh, health issues that uh, come from a sedentary life. That's why Proverbs 22 verse 13 says, the sluggard says, <laughs> there's a lion outside though. <laughs> I will be killed in the public square. He heard, woof. He said, ah. Dog, lion, lion, dog. I don't know even in the same family. Uh, that it could be. It could be. In fact, it's the lion. And in fact, I've already, I had a vision of how he killed me. I would die. <laughs> so they can't come. Whereas the workaholic, every discomfort is ignored and develops physical or mental, I would add, or emotional health issues due to burnout. Consistent migraines. Eh, I just add Panadol extra, Neurofen. Put all of those things. Gone. No checkup, nothing. Stomach issues. Now you start becoming all of a sudden mental issues are there, but you deny it out of burnout until it becomes terrible. Third one. The sluggard takes all leaves available and abuses six leaves on top. It's little sleep, uh, 24 verse 34. A little sleep, a little slumber, a folding of the hands uh, to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcely like an armed man. You know what he's saying? He's saying, there's available, eh, there's rest, uh, leave available. Uh -uh. The slugger doesn't miss it. Leave, who, what, you take my leave from me. Like, like. So they leave, they take all the leaves. The public holiday, the president's birthday, all the annual leave. If you work in one place, I work, self. You could even take some of the leave of next year. The slugger will always say, all the leaves have gone. So when that one is now gone, it's now sick leave. What, what, is, what is the sick leave limit? I'm, look, I'm feeling so you know, horrible. I can't, you want me to come back after four days? Whereas the workaholic, when they get their own leave, if they remember the leave, many of them don't even take the leave, but they remember the leave, they either use that leave for what? Side hustle. Or when they go on holiday, for those that can, uh, that can afford, you know what they do? They now, you they walk, you weren't walking in Lagos. You now go to, uh, to London High Street. You'll be walking there for two weeks and you come back. Then, number four. This one is fascinating. The, look at what Proverbs 19, verse 3 says. It says, A person's own folly, whose folly? Their own folly. Their own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. They will blame circumstances in Nigeria. They will blame their parents for, for even giving birth to them. Or giving birth. Why didn't you bomb in Canada? Why didn't you bomb in the US? Why didn't you whatever? They will blame everybody. They are not doing what they need to be doing. But they always blame. After a while, there's nobody to blame. It's God. Why did you make me in Nigeria? 
their heart rages against the Lord because of the lack of success. Whereas with the alcohol, with the it's alcoholic, with the worker, <laughs> sometimes they have to drown in alcohol actually to help themselves, right? They congratulate themselves for all the successes that they have. Proverbs 23 verse 4. Do not wear, wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness, but they do. I'm a self-made millionaire. Look at what I have built on my own. It's too hard, thorough work. But let's turn to whether, as a sluggard or a workaholic, let's look from the subordinate's perspective and from the boss's perspective, right? If you're a subordinate that is a sluggard, you know what you do? You just service the eyes of your, of your, um, of your boss. This is where alt-tab, some of you know what alt-tab is. So you're going through YouTube. Your boss is just coming, Papa, alt-tab, go to the next window. <laughs> Send an email. You know you have used it. You know. Because you're just working for the eyes. But guess what? Let me tell you. They know that you are not working well. They know. You are not delivering on your... You can look. You can do as much work as you can do here. You can be... When you get into the meetings, the meetings, eh, you have not done your work, but you are the most vocal person in the meeting. And the, 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 things, the things you are contributing are very stupid. Everybody just looking like, finish now. Whereas the workaholic, they are unable to ever push back to unreasonable demands from their bosses. Right now, some of you, your boss can call you right now, and you say, I have to answer the call. For something that they can call you at 1 PM. In fact, that's 1 PM on Sunday. Or the other way, if you're a boss, here's what happens. Subordinates produce little results under you, of course, because you are not leading them to any kind of promised land. They become lazy. And they don't develop. And you get mad at them still for not producing results. Whereas on the other hand, when you have a, a, a workaholic that is a boss, you produce results actually. Because that's all you care about, the stats. Everything works. Bottom line is fine. But guess what happens? People do, you produce that result by overworking the people and they still don't develop. The organization is getting their, the marks, but you are turning over staff like just, just like that. Nobody can come in and feel like they developed under you. And last two things here. For the sluggard, <laughs> there is no party they don't go to. They can't be missed. They, they, their social life is fantastic. You know what I mean by that? You see, why didn't they come to work in the morning? They didn't come to work because this time they had something called morning sickness. So I can't show up. But you see, when your party was in the evening, you see, morning sickness doesn't apply to the evening. So even though they couldn't make work, ah, of course, they are going to come for your party. They make every single party whilst they are absent at work. What about their spiritual life? Ah, same problem. Anything that requires some kind of effort doesn't attract them. And then on the converse, with the workaholic, their spiritual life dead, their social life dead. If you want to find them at their happiest, it's just in front of, of a computer screen. Finally, when it comes to ambition and contentment, the worker, the, um, the work, what do you call the, who are they? Slugard. The sluggard. The sluggard, very funny, you they are not, uh, um, they are not ambitious. Nothing drives them, per se. They are not driven to do work. 
but they are, at the same time, they are not content with their lot in life. Because, you see, they are on Instagram all the time. They are looking at, uh, 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 do you know that Linda Ikechi actually has two houses in Banana Island? Then this other social influencer, ah, now she's on 1.2 million followers. And they, they are languishing at their own 120 followers, and they are following 6,200 people. So they, are, they, they don't like where they are. They are not content with where they are. But they are not actually ambitious and driven to do anything. The converse is true about the workaholic. They are so ambitious. They are driven everything. They are, you know, if I make this million, or if I get this, if we expand this way, all of that, they achieve those things. And guess what? They are never content. I am sure you can't find yourself in any of these things. But which one are you? Are you courageous enough to admit it to yourself? Or which one do you tend towards? Because listen, you don't get deliverance without self-awareness and self-admittance. At the root of the problem with these people is a distorted view of God and therefore a distorted view of work that God created. You see, because the, worker, the sluggard believes that God is necessary and work is unnecessary. God is necessary. You know why they say God is, un is necessary? It's that they have a view of God. We can call God faith and fortune as well. Right? They believe that that is really all that is needed for them to make it in life, for them to blow. The God factor is the most important thing. That's why they sing spiritual songs, they pray, they sow, they do all of those kinds of things. Work, minimal work here or there is not needed. This is also why, sorry to say, a lot of people like this, you find them playing the lottery. Because all that matters in life is not really work. It's just that if it be faith, fortune. The better ones are not really into gambling. They are into pyramid and Ponzi schemes. Network marketing. Because all I need to do is put in a little bit of work, sell to these people, and eventually, in three weeks' time, I will have four people under me. And if those ones work well, then those four will have eight people under them. And then the eight will have 16, and all the money will just be flowing to me. My money is working for me. I don't have to work. God is all that is necessary. Work isn't necessary. Are you following me? Whereas the workaholic, for them, God is unnecessary. And work is more than necessary. It is a God. And as long as they can keep worshiping their God, the God of work, that is all they need. It will give them all they need in life. But of course, what happens with these people? If work is your God, whenever you compare yourself with people that don't work like you, how do you look? You are intolerant of them. You are insensitive to them. That is why they cannot approach you. You have no fun to be around you. You don't even like to come for parties. And when you come for parties, you ruin everything. So why are we spending money on this one? Why are we spending money on that? And also, you are empty. You are still empty because you are discontented. Which one are you? That brings me to my second point. How it is done. If that's not how it's meant to be, then how is it meant to be done? You see, last time we spoke about vision and planning. Right? The vision gives you a destination. The planning gives you the road to that destination. But that is not all that is required. Just like that Yoruba proverb that we sang. Studying alone is not all that is required. Listen to what Proverbs 21 verse 5 says. It says, 
The plans of the diligent lead to profit. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. It did not say plans lead to profit. It says plans of a certain kind of person leads to profit. In other words, don't be a workaholic. Don't be a sluggard. Who should you be? Be the diligent. You know, if you're a, uh, some of you that are into football, isn't it wonderful to see the collapse of Liverpool? It's been, it's been nice. Not as bad as Man Uzum, but I hated Liverpool. Liverpool was the first club I actually hated before Man United. So it wasn't bad. They won. Everything is good, but it's nice to see them collapse. Now, one of the things, if you think, if, as football managers, imagine you, you know, they actually do set up strategies for people that don't like football. They actually do think it's not just 11, 20, 20, uh, 20 people trying to run around with a ball, right? as some people have described. No, the managers actually do work. They are strategic geniuses. So you set up this strategy. You put all of those things in place. What do you need for the strategy to work? You need people, players. But you don't just need players. So the Liverpool manager, for instance, he has this tactic of high pressing. Somebody has the ball. The opponent has the ball. Three people are already on the opponent, pressing him too quickly. He has to pass it. Another three people are on that one. So eventually, you give them the ball. What do you think you need for that high-pressing kind of strategy? You don't just need people. You need people who are very what, fit, people who can work hard. If you don't have that, you just have plans, and you will not be able to implement those plans. Are you following me? If vision gives you the destination and planning gives you the road to that destination, the field to go on that road is what diligence is. And so, are you diligent? How can you know? I'm here to help you. Let's go back to our table again. When it comes to sleep, the diligent, let's assume, I think this is right, all sleep experts, the diligent sleep at least six and a half to eight hours a day. They may take coffee, espresso, no, latte better. But they don't take it as a stimulant. They certainly don't mix coffee and energy drinks. As some of you, I won't, I won't say anything. But if the Holy Spirit is talking to you, better answer. Also, second, they don't ignore symptoms in their body. They don't ignore the symptoms that their mental health may be telling them but neither do they take undue advantage of them. When you have a serious ache, a serious whatever, you say, man, let's go to the hospital. When you have the ache that comes because you are 42, it's because you are 42, you just get on with it. Here's one more thing, the third one. And this is really following what the Bible says in Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Exodus 20, 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor. Somebody in the first service said six, not five. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall... <laughs> what? They started figuring out who the person was. Exactly. Yes. But he repented of his workaholism in that service. All right. Six days, um, uh, six days you, on it you shall do no work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and, that, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying God who worked, rested. And it's in that God's image that we are created. So therefore, we are created 
to have the rhythm of work and what? Rest. And then it was structured. Notice he said six days and then on the seventh day. It's planned for. It's structured. So when the diligent has leave, they plan their leave. They actually are diligent in planning their leave. They say, no, at this time I'm going to rest. Now I'm not saying you can't have a side hustle. But you don't give all your leave towards your side hustle. You realize I am meant to have a pattern of work and rest. In fact, you will use it not just to rest, but you will use it to reset. People who do this, are, they are always more productive than the people that are workaholics. Here's the other thing the diligent does. The diligent are not self-congratulate. Uh, they don't congratulate themselves for their successes. They know they worked, but they also know what Psalm 127 says. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, except the Lord, what, builds a house. Those who labor, labor in vain. Notice, he didn't say the Lord builds the house, and therefore you don't have to labor. He says you labor, but your labor, the product of your labor, is actually God that is doing it. So you never say something like a self-made millionaire. You actually count the, the aspect of God's divine favor for you. Luck, well, I won't call it luck. Right? God's intervention in many places. I'm like, they're always humble people. They're not saying that they didn't put work in, but they are saying, man, if God was not kind to me. Let's look at it. For them, them being subordinates and bosses. They go the extra mile for buses, but they operate within boundaries that don't affect productivity. Colossians 2, verse 23. It says this, 22 and 23. Slaves, obey your masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working to the Lord, not just human masters. Now that everybody is working from home, <laughs> how do you, are you working in a way that even though your boss can't see you, you know that you have a higher boss that is the Lord. Now, they go the extra mile to get the thing done, but they also set reasonable boundaries. They don't see a call at 11.30 p.m. and think they must answer it. But they don't give the bosses the excuse to say, this is the reason I had to call you. They are always diligent. They are always productive. Are you following what I'm saying? The flip side for the bosses is from Colossians 4 verse 1. Notice what Colossians 4 verse 1 says. It says, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. How do you want your master to treat you? Treat those who work under you that way. In other words, he's saying, when he says what is right and fair, it goes beyond the remuneration. It's the conditions for work. Create the conditions for work that enables them to thrive. Because if they thrive, your organization will thrive as well. You can actually have both. Do you know that? You can develop the people under you and also produce results. He says that is how to be a diligent boss. You say it's too hard thinking about them. That is, uh, then if, <laughs> if you can't think about the people that are working under you, then you shouldn't have that position in the first place. You are not just there to manage the results. You are there to manage the people, to see that they develop. That is what a diligent boss does. Two more things. They actually don't have a bad social life. You know, they, they actually have friends. They actually meet up with friends. They actually do sometimes, you know, are in touch with their family members. That, yes, it's more difficult. Yes, you have to plan that. But they have a social life. And they also have a spiritual life. 
Admittedly, they may not be perfect. They may be growing in both of them, but it is present because they know to live as a human being in this God's world is not all about work, 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 work. Amen. And then finally, and I expand on this a little bit more, they achieve what those guys couldn't achieve with, with contentment and ambition. They are both ambitious and what? Content at the same time. I'll say a little bit more about that in the third point. Guys, what do your former colleagues or what do your current colleagues, what do they say about you when you are not there? We recently tried to hire someone. And when we're reviewing the person's profile, I thought the person was not, a, was, not good, was not a good fit technically for the role. I didn't feel the person could bring the technical skills for what that role was. But you know why the person, the only reason the person was, was, was a candidate, why me and uh, the people around me, why we, we kept going back and forth. The one thing they said, the two people that were with me, the one thing they kept saying, this person eh, this person is a diligent worker. The person was speaking whilst not being there. The person's work, the person's character, the person's uh, 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 body of work, that this person is a diligent worker. They were saying, this person, eh, even though this person doesn't know this thing, I can bet on the person's drive, the person's diligence, that the person will try their best to be able to pick this thing up. What do people say about you when you are not there? Because, guys, God isn't calling us to be sluggards or workaholics. He's calling us to be diligent people because that would mean that we have a restored view of who God is and therefore a healthy view of what work is. Because while the sluggard may think that God is necessary and work is unnecessary, and the workaholic will think that God is unnecessary and that work is a God, guess what the diligent thinks? The diligent thinks that God is God and work is necessary because that God that is God is the one that created work, is the one that says, I want you to work well. I want you to work hard. Especially in this city, many of us are so privileged here that the same effort that we put in, we get paid 50 times more than just normal day laborers or even 100 times more. God wants us to work hard and work well. But at the same time, if it is the God who created work and actually has called you into that work, he also wants you to rest in him as well. Are you following what I'm saying? If we are going to stand out, if we are going to thrive, if we are going to be distinguished in this place, because so many people are missing out, are going in this way or going in that way, God wants you to thrive by being a diligent worker, not a sluggard or a workaholic. But that brings me to my final point. Because someone is going to say something like this. I hear you, so why it is done? I hear you. I hear you, but I have two problems. I am definitely discontent. I am, as in, I have been working so hard, you are talking to me. How do I deal with this discontentment? Because I keep trying to achieve something, achieve, and it's not going away, and I'm hearing you, but I do need some help. And another person is saying something like this, that I'm tired. 
I am tired. Maybe I have worked so hard and I have I've lost all energy and all zeal and all, you know, I can't, I lack the energy to keep going. I lack the energy to keep going. So on the one hand, you feel, you are admitting that you are discontent. On the other hand, you are saying that you lack the energy. How can God help me? Do you think God can help? Well, I'll tell you, he can and he will. And how? It's all through a secret. It's all through a secret. Can I tell you something? You see, what you're asking for is to be ambitious and to be content at the same time. That is not easy. That requires a secret. So let me take you to Philippians chapter 4. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and see what Paul says. In Philippians 4 verse 11, Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. So Paul is what? He's what? Content. And he's saying that he learned it. Then he says, I know what it is to be in need and what it is to have plenty. However, I have learned the secret of being content. Paul says there's a secret of being content. Now, but I want you to see something about Paul. In verse 15, that's 11 and 12. In verse 15, you know what Paul says? He says, when I set out from Macedonia, one church, not one church shared with me, in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. I'm not talking about the giving part. I'm talking about the fact that he was going to Macedonia. Paul was an enormously ambitious person. In the, at the end of the uh, book of Romans, Romans 15, Paul says, I have preached the gospel all the way from Jerusalem in the center to the far east in Illyricum. And now I want to preach the gospel not just to the east, because I want to name, I want to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. I am going from here to uh, Rome and then to Spain. Paul was very ambitious, but he was very driven with his ambitions. But notice he said, I am also content. How can you be ambitious, that is, you are not, satisf uh, ambitious, you are not satisfied with what you have achieved, but at the same time you are content, you are satisfied with what you have. How can you do that? Paul says there is a secret. And that secret is how you deal with your contentment. That secret is how you continue to be driven and ambitious. Where is the secret? Verse 13. What does he say? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Or I can do, if you check verse 10, the him is the Lord. I can do all things through the Lord who gives me strength. Oh my God. I can do all, let's say it together. I can do all things. No, I can do all things through the Lord that gives me strength. One more time. I can do all things. Through the Lord that gives me strength. What he's saying there is that he can give you two things. Two things, a stable identity and limitless strength. A stable identity and limitless strength. Notice he says, I can do all things through the one that gives me strength. The Lord that gives me strength. If you don't know him as Lord, then you can't receive his strength. What does it mean? How does he become our Lord? Through hard work. Jesus worked so hard to become our Savior. What do I mean by that? In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus says, I came to complete the work of the, of the Father. I came to complete the work of God. What is God's work? Genesis 2, verse 3, God's work is to create. God's work is to create. But Jesus then says, in, in, in Genesis 2, 3, he says, but God finished the work. He finished the work of creation. So what is Jesus then doing? If God has finished the work of creation, and Jesus is doing the work of creation, then Jesus' creation work is a recreation. 
It's a new creation. Why does he need to bring about a new creation? He needs to bring about a new creation because after God made the first creation, sin came in, death came in, and sin and death are walking through a process of decreation. The way that God has set things up in the natural order is not functioning. We were meant to live forever. Death is telling you that the creation is working backwards. And so God needs to intervene to recreate again. Behold, I do something new. I create a new heavens and a new earth. God is doing a new thing. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do. That is why, listen, in John chapter 5, Jesus meets a paralytic who has been paralyzed for 38 years. He's an invalid. Do you think in God's original design that anyone was meant to be disabled in that way? Question? What was happening was that this is an evidence of the decreation. So what does Jesus do? Remember Jesus said, I came to complete the work of God. I'm doing the work of God. So when Jesus heals the man, Jesus is actually what? Doing, undoing the decreation. He is now doing a new creation work. Are you following me? So that's why in John 5, 17, when they asked him what he was doing, listen to what he says. In the defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work. After healing, I am doing my father's work. I too am working. So Jesus goes into the synagogue. He, 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 he does the work of, the, of, 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 of recreation by changing their theology. He goes in and he heals, casts out demons. He goes here, he feeds the 5,000. What is he doing? He's doing the work of creation. But you also, you all know this. Anytime you work hard, what does it do? You feel like life is going away from you. You feel tired. You feel like life is being drawn from you. What do you think the effect was on Jesus Christ? Oh, this work was so hard. It drew his life. Sometimes he was thirsty. Sometimes he needed to sleep. It was drawing his life, drawing his life, drawing his life. This work of recreation was taking life from him. But to finish it, he not only just took his life. He not only just drew his life, he took his life. That's why on the cross, Jesus uttered these three words. It is finished. But the only way it was going to be finished was not just that his life was being drawn, his life was being taken away. Do you understand? For us to receive the stable identity that Jesus gives us, it took his hard work and that hard work led to the loss of his life. So that in John 4, 38, he then says, now you can reap where you did not sow. Now, somebody else has done what he says. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I am saying for you to be content, it is not what you can work for. It is what somebody else has worked for on your behalf. You can never work for what Jesus Christ has given you. That's why he did the hard work and he says you can take it now. And it is because Jesus worked hard to purchase our salvation, we also can, the people of Jesus, can be motivated to do what? To work hard as well. But there's one more thing. I am tired. I am tired. I don't have the energy again. Yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm tired. Don't forget what Philippians 4, 13 said. It said, I can do all things through the Lord that what? Gives me strength. Through the Lord that gives me strength. You need to understand what that strength is. You see this same Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. 
Paul knew that people always doubted his call as an apostle. They always thought he was a sort of semi-apostle. He wasn't quite a true apostle. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 says, I'm aware of that. They can say all they want to say. I'm the least of the apostles, but guess what? I am who I am by the grace of God. God has called you to be where you are by his grace. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying it's not difficult. For some, those of us who are even unemployed at this point, maybe this is a phase. Maybe God is trying to teach you something, but God has called you to where you are by his grace. And what is absolutely stunning is what Paul then says after. He says, but that grace was not without effect to me. And then you're like, what? The grace by which he called was also effectual. And you're like, effectual for what? To produce the work of an apostle. The grace of God is there to produce work in you. But then the slogan comes in, or your slogan comes in, and says, oh, that means I don't need much work. That means I can relax because all I need is the grace of God and it will just bring results. Paul said, please don't misquote me. Don't misquote me. Why? Because the grace that God gives is not God gives grace and then, you know, I don't need to work. He says this, I give you the grace to produce more work. How? By giving you the grace to work harder. Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace without, to me was not without effect. No, what? I worked harder than them all. Yet, not I, but what? God in me. In other words, what I'm saying is this. You say you lack strength. You have the stable identity in Jesus. That same Jesus is there to strengthen your hands. That same Jesus is there when you are without strength to give you what you need. That's why Paul can say, I will not glory in what I've done. I will glory in my weaknesses so that the power of God may rest upon me. That's why when Nehemiah then were building the wall and they couldn't complete the wall because they were getting tired. Because of opposition here and opposition there. In Nehemiah 6 verse 9, it says that they thought that we would be weak. They tried to frighten us and thought that we would be weak so that we won't continue the work and complete it. He said, but then I prayed, strengthen now my hands because it is the God that gives us strength that is our Lord. May God give you that grace today. May God strengthen our hands where they are actually going down. Like may God strengthen, the, 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 confirm the feebleness and strengthen the weak hands as Isaiah said. May God come unto you and save you and give you strength. The way we continue to work hard, the way we continue to be ambitious, the way we continue to do this is to have a stable identity in what Jesus has done for us and then use the example and then the grace that Jesus gives to continue to work hard. Friends, we as Christians have things that other people don't have. Yes, I'm not saying that other people can't work hard and driven, but they are, they are driven by something else. They are not content. You can be driven whilst you are content because of what Jesus has done. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.